through the Gospel of John. I think I shared this with you guys before, um, but uh, let's see here. Uh, Miss Andrea Hohola, can you take this to Miss Anita? Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, whenever someone, she's not here. Okay, all right. Well then, can you, you know what, Miss Andrea Hohola, don't worry about it. Can you give this to your mom? Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, John chapter number three. Uh, whenever someone gets saved, um, I, I always encourage them to read the Gospel of John. And the reason for that is uh, the purpose of the gospel um, is, is actually given toward the end of the book, ironically. That may be God's way of just saying, read it, because it's the right thing to do. Right. And then when you get to the end, you'll learn why I put it in there, right? Um, but uh, the reason that God, uh, the, the, the Bible details for us that the gospel of John was written was to confirm that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Um, and uh, that, that was the main debate in the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. Is he or is he not God manifest in the flesh? Uh, because if he wasn't, he was a blasphemer, and uh, that was what the, the contention was between the Pharisees and, and of course, the disciples and, and Jesus Christ himself. But uh, look at John chapter 3. We're going to get into something that I think is very, uh, I'll say it this way, controversial, and, and we, don't, we don't preach on controversial things, for the purpose of being controversial, okay? Uh, and I'll say it this way. Um, real truth, if you are coming at it from a Bible-believing perspective, there actually is no controversy. Uh, a good example of this is First uh, uh, Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. You know what the Bible says? There is no controversy. Well, can me ask you a question. Are there some people that don't believe Jesus Christ is God? Sure there are. Yeah. So there is, but from God's standpoint, God's like, there's no controversy as far as I'm concerned, because truth is truth, right? So, so uh, John chapter 3, we're going to get into some things that Nicodemus and the Lord talk about, where there's a lot of, I believe, a lot of confusion uh, in the day and age in which we live, and it has been that way for a long time. I believe the devil, from the very uh, beginning of the scriptures, you see the devil trying to uh, get man to doubt what God said, Genesis 3, we know that. Uh, you also know that Paul said, even when the scriptures were being written, uh, that there were people that were corrupting the word of God in Paul's day. So this is not a new thing. We talk about, you know, uh, versions of the Bible, all that kind of stuff. This is not a new issue. The issue has always been there, which is this. God gives the word, and then the devil t- comes in and tries to distort what God said. He tries to cast doubt and confusion so that you don't know God's direction for your life. Uh, John chapter 3, look if you would at verse uh, number... Uh, one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We talked about the Pharisees and who they are. Talked about Nicodemus and who he was and how he starts off coming to Jesus by night. But by the end of his life, uh, from the scriptural standpoint, we see that he's publicly being uh, associated with the burial of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so he comes a long way. Uh, in verse 2, he talked about the miracles and how that's a, a confirmation of, of the Word of God and how the Lord does that uh, during certain periods of, of history. Uh, not so much today because we've got the complete written revelation of God. You've got God's entire mind in your lap right there. All right, but, but when they didn't have that, what God did is God would do miracles and signs and wonders to confirm the Word of whoever was preaching. Whoever said, I'm sent from God, they would go, prove it, right? And, and so that's what that was. Now, uh, look at verse number three. Jesus answered and said to him, uh, I really appreciate the compliment that you gave me, and thank you for affirming my ministry. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't do that, right? 
I mean, honestly, humanly speaking, I would be like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that, right? But the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't need that. Uh, the Lord doesn't need what, what men think of him so much. And, and uh, matter of fact, go back to chapter number two. Look at verse 24. Uh, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Isn't it funny that's written at the end of chapter two? At the very beginning of chapter three, some guy's like, I think you're really good stuff, man. And the Lord's like, uh, you must be born again. Y- you notice that? L- look at verse number three. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. This is probably one of the more confusing places, I think, for some people in the Bible. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born Again, let's ask God's blessing on the word. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to approach this one more time. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit of God to move in this place, to enlighten, to illuminate, Lord, to, to reveal. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that has never been born again, Lord, they, they don't know what it's like to be saved. They don't know what it's like to have their sins forgiven and to have a real genuine relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you, and we ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, let me say this much, not to pick on anybody, but you know what I'm really glad? I'm glad you got saved last week. Amen. Uh, and I'm glad she's back in church. That is, a, that is a blessing, amen? When someone gets saved and then they come back, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, so anyways, uh, I, I'm not, not going to embarrass anybody else. Everybody calm down. Everyone's like, don't, don't point me out. Don't point. Actually, let's do this. Welcome back from Africa, Steon. <laughs> All right, Joe, welcome back from your 27 weddings you just did, okay? All right. Uh, am I missing anybody else? Okay, let's move on. Uh, l- let, me, let me just say this, guys, as it relates to the concept of, of being born again. Um, there are some terms in the Bible that are synonymous with this. Uh, we, we say saved. And when we talk about being born again, we're talking about the same thing. Now, I want to explain this because, uh, again, in this passage, there's a lot of confusion that comes out of John chapter 3. I was at a, uh, uh, Emma and, and Isabella both uh, do violin, they do chamber orchestra stuff, and uh, Emma was uh, doing her practice uh, for her or- orchestra this last week, and where they do it is at the LDS church right down the road, over off of uh, uh, Smoky Hill and Chambers. And so I was in there, and uh, and just kind of, you know, just kind of looking around, you know, and kind of just checking out the place and seeing what's up there. And, and they had this little board in one of the, it appeared to be what we would call like a Sunday school room for kids. And on that board, it had John 3, 5, and it said uh, it was a license plate. It was like kind of like, you know, those, those fake license plates. And what it spelled out was baptism. And the reference was John 3, 5. And can I tell you something? John 3, 5 has nothing to do with baptism at all. Right. And we're going to explain that. But a lot of people get confused in that area. So let me just say this. Let's go to First Peter chapter number 1. When it comes to the new birth, uh, the new birth is, is something that, is, uh, that takes place. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place by faith. When you hear the word of God, and more specifically, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you might go, well, uh, Jesus hadn't even died yet, and, and so, and so how, why would the Lord explain to him? Well, let's back up the truck a little bit. You might remember in the gospel of Matthew, he lays out for them what to do in the church, and they really don't even quite have a church yet. 
All right. So the Lord does that often where he goes, hey, this is coming. You need to be prepared for this. And when it comes, here's how to handle it. And so the Lord tells us, man, you must be born again. And so you go, well, he could have been born again yet. Yeah, but don't forget in Luke 22, it's up here, Luke 22, 32. Um, he looks at Peter and he says, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So you got disciples who are not even converted yet. You know what they needed? They needed to put their faith in Jesus Christ after he died for their sins. And that hadn't happened yet. So the Lord's giving revelation kind of ahead of time, if you will. Uh, but look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And let me just say this. Your new birth does not come from the city water. All right? Now listen, if you want to put your faith in the, in the city of Aurora for anything with your, the salvation of your soul, knock yourself out. All right? I'm not going down that road. Uh, my, my faith is not in the water that I got into. The water has no magical powers to turn, you know, wash away my sins. It's a picture of something. We'll get to that. But, but your new birth comes through the faith in God's word. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 23. Being born again, right? So there's that phrase. We've seen it. We just saw it in, in John 3. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the what? Word of God, all right? And, and, and so the Word of God is likened to a seed. Look at Luke chapter number 8. By, by the way, that's why it's so important that every single day of your life as a believer, you're taking in the Word of God as seeds being planted into your life so that God can take that and plant it in you and let it sprout and change you from the inside out. Every time someone comes to me and says, uh, Pastor, we got marriage trouble. Uh, Pastor, we got money trouble. Uh, Pastor, I got kid trouble. Pastor, I got whatever. We all got trouble of some kind, Amen. And the first question I ask when someone brings something to me is that, are you in your Bible? And you may go, well, why are you going to ask that? That's kind of elementary. It's not as elementary as you think. Most people don't pick up that book on a regular basis. You need to develop a relationship with the Word of God so it can literally change you from the inside out. Now, now when it comes to salvation, what happens is this. The Word is planted in your heart. Look at Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter 8, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 5. Luke chapter 8. In verse number five, and uh, this is this is definitely something that is a New Testament doctrine. This is not a uh, something that is is confined to the Old Testament or uh, to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter eight and verse five. A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trodden down. The fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Uh, one of the most uh, uh, lost uh, uh, concepts today in modern Christianity is a lot of people say Jesus told parables to make things clearer for people so they could have an illustration from nature. That's not exactly true. Jesus told parables, and it was something that would keep everything hidden unless they were willing to come aside and go, Lord, I don't understand. Will you teach me? Uh, and by the way, there's a lot of things like that in the Bible that you're going to read in, for yourself and go, Lord, I don't get that. Or if you want to be like the rest of the crowd, because it was only the, the 12 that said, Lord, we want to know what this is all about. Everybody else that was there, they walked away going, well, that was a nice message. What's for lunch? Right? And so they came aside and said, okay, Lord, we want to understand what that is. And he would reveal it to them. And if you're going to have a successful Christian life, you're going to learn to do the same thing. Lord, I don't get that. Would you show it to me? Lord, I want to dive into that. Now, now look at verse 11. Here's the key. 
The parable is this, the seed is the what? All right, so, so here's what happens. Uh, when you got saved, if you are saved, what happened is somebody uh, sowed the seed of the gospel in your life. They said, hey, here is what Jesus Christ did for you. God, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. He did all of that to make a way for you into glory. And if you receive it, you can be born again. Now look at Romans chapter number 10. Let me show you something in Romans 10. Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter 10, and, and this, is, this is important to get a hold of because if you think that the medium by which the new birth comes is by, is by water baptism, then you're missing the point. You're missing what the scriptures are teaching us, right? Look at uh, Romans 10, and look at verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be... Saved. All right, now, now look at uh, verse number 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? And how shall they preach except they be what? All right, so you know what's going on? Basically what's going on is this. And in verse 16, he, he talks about that not all have believed the gospel. When you go out with the word of God and you give the gospel to somebody, you are sowing the seed into their life and into their heart. Whether they receive it at that time as good ground, their heart's ready, or not, is not up to you. Your job is to sow that seed, all right? And if you're saved, somebody sowed it in your life. The way that you were born again had nothing to do with your baptism. It had everything to do with your faith in what God said was necessary for your salvation. Is that clear? So the new birth comes, the medium for the new birth is the word of God. And that's important to get a hold of. One, one of the things I think is very important to point out as well is that the new birth is connected not with the kingdom of heaven so much as the kingdom of God. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Luke chapter number 17. Luke chapter 17. Just some important things to point out. You know why it's important? Because what you'll find out is the kingdom of heaven, uh, so, much of the, so many of the references to the kingdom of heaven are physical in nature. It is a physical kingdom with a physical king sitting on a physical throne in a physical city named Jerusalem, right? Whereas the kingdom of God is something that is spiritual in nature. And you have to make that distinction in your Bible. If you don't, I'll say it this way, if you don't have the right book, you can't make that distinction in your Bible, all right? But, but if you got the right book, you got to learn to read those words and go, okay, this is different than this. Uh, look at Luke chapter 17. Look, if you would, at verse number 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with what? All right, you know what, what uh, Americans did this last week? They looked up in the sky and they saw a Chinese spy balloon. And they observed it go across the country. They could physically see it. You know what the Lord's saying? The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ going to come back someday? Is, gonna, is he going to establish a physical kingdom on the earth? Okay, then what you have to understand is this, is the kingdom of God cannot exclusively be a reference to that because that does come with observation. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 21. Neither shall they say, lo, here or lo, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? That's spiritual nature. All right, look, if you would, at Luke chapter 19, two chapters over to the right, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and look, if you would, at verse number 11, this is the, the problem, uh, I'll say that the, the challenge that the 
uh, disciples and, and the nation of Israel had at the time of the ministry of Jesus Christ. They were waiting for a kingdom to show up. And guess what? That's actually the right thing. The problem was when the Lord would talk about the kingdom of God, he was trying to point out, look, there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come. It's going to be physical in nature and you can be ushered into it. But, but I want to talk to you about a spiritual one as well. And, and what I, what I, when you look at the nation of Israel, I, honestly, I, I think it's a lot like Christians today in, in some aspect. And here's what it is. We want the physical blessings. We don't want the spiritual struggle. Does that make sense? All right. So the nation of Israel goes, we want you as our Messiah. We want to overthrow Rome. We want to be back on top over the Gentiles. The Lord's like, that's going to happen someday. But uh, until you are willing to submit to the spiritual side, you don't get that. Right. Same problem we have today as Christians, if you think about it. All right. So that was their issue. Look at Luke 19, verse number 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should what? Immediately appear. And he's trying to tell them, no, 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 that's a different kind of kingdom. Uh, look at Romans chapter number 14. Romans 14. Romans 14. Do you know how you learn the Bible? You learn the Bible by going from one passage to another. Uh, Romans 14. And I have just lost my reference here. There it is, verse 17. Uh, Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven. That's a different kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. In other words, it's not physical. It's not about the physical. It's not about what you physically put in your body. That's not going to determine your salvation. All right. There are some things you can put in your body that you probably shouldn't. Amen. Amen. And amen. All right. I know what most of you are thinking about right now. You're like, yeah, you guys get those weed people. I'll tell you what else will kill you. Uh, too much sugar. All the Baptists said, all right, preacher, shut it down right there. You went too far. Uh, but but you, you understand the point here he's trying to make is that the, the spiritual, the kingdom of God is spiritual in nature. It, you, uh, what you do in the physical does not determine whether or not you go into the kingdom of God. That's a spiritual transaction that takes place. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the what? So it's a spiritual kingdom. That's what we're trying to lay, lay, lay out here right now. And so this, this being born again, this spiritual birth, is what ushers you into a spiritual kingdom. So here's the question. If it's a spiritual kingdom and it's a spiritual birth, does it also not make sense that the means by which you enter that kingdom are spiritual? It, it has nothing to do with a physical uh, a trough or of water. It's not about getting into water. And I'm going to keep saying that over and over and over, and you'll understand why in a moment. But before I get to that, uh, let me say, brother, you can go to the next slide for us. Let me also say this. There are some people. Now, look, we, we believe in rightly dividing the word of God. OK, uh, go to Second Timothy. I know most of you can memorize or quote this verse, and that's fine. But look at Second Timothy, chapter two. Uh, for those that can't, uh, I want you to see it. Second Timothy, chapter two. And let me just uh, let me point something out here. Uh, we believe in rightly dividing the word of God rightly dividing all right now if you don't divide at all you know what that means you're not doing your job okay if you just say everything's exactly the same from old testament new testament it's all been the same you're first off you're not being intellectually honest that's one thing the second thing is you're not rightly divide you're not doing your job as a student of the word of god look at what it says all right it says study to show thyself approved to god a workman that needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth 
So what that means is this. If you don't divide it at all, you're not doing your job. Okay? Can I also say this? If you are overly dividing, you're going further than God wants you to go. You know what some people think? Uh, okay, so this is how men think, all right? Ladies, let me help you out a little bit. A man thinks this way. If, if one pill is what the doctor prescribed, and it takes me a week to get through this prescription, all right, I, maybe if I just take seven right now, right? That's how, that's how men think oftentimes, all right? I'll tell on myself, all right? Just because you do too much, you go, well, if it's a good thing, there's no way to have too much of it. Well, you got to have that. That's not exactly true. You need to temper things. That's what the Bible talks about. Let your moderation be made known unto all men. So you should rightly divide the word of God. There are divisions in the Bible that God puts there. There are divisions in the Bible that men put there that God didn't put there. Right. And you got to watch out for that, too. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, not that long ago, somebody was, uh, uh, well, I say not that long ago. When you're old, everything's not that long ago, I guess. Uh, but, but a couple years back, uh, there was a, a family came to our church, and uh, they didn't stay very long. They're nice people. I'm not speaking ill of them. Uh, but it came very apparent that, um, uh, I don't even know what the husband believed. I knew what the wife believed. Uh, is that fair? Is that wrong? Is that, all right. You, the guy was just kind of a limp noodle. Okay, I should stop right now. Lord, forgive me. Help me. <laughs> Let me reel this back in. All right. Anyways, what, what, I'll, just say that, I'll just say what they believed was uh, that, that basically uh, there are things in the Gospels, like in the Gospel of John, where it says you must be born again. Well, that, that's not New Testament. That's not for, that's not for you as a, a Pauline Christian. As a matter of fact, Paul never says you had to be born again. Therefore, that new birth stuff was confined to Israel. It has nothing to do with the church. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, let, let, me, let me show you a couple things that Paul did say. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And my job as a pastor is to educate you not only what the, what the Bible says and what's right, but what some people make the Bible say that isn't right. So that you can understand how to, how to back up what you believe. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look, if you would, at verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? All right, question. How do you get in Christ? And, and, okay, that's the right answer. All right. And, and, and what does it mean to be a new creature? That kind of gives the implication that there's a new life there. Is that fair? All right. Uh, look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. So Paul may not have used the term born again. It's kind of like when someone goes, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Right? All right, the word jerk isn't in the Bible. It isn't stopping people from being jerks, amen? All right, so, so the, the word rapture is not there, but the idea of the blessed hope, the idea of the resurrection, that, that doctrine is sound. It is in your Bible, all right? Uh, the word trinity is not in your Bible, uh, but the word Godhead is, right? So people go, well, the word trinity is not there, so we don't believe in the three in one, right? And that, that, that's, just not, that's not the right way to approach the Bible, there are words that we use that may not be necessarily in your Bible to describe doctrines of the Bible. All right? But here, let me just show you that Paul, while he may not use the term born again himself, let me show you something in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse number 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto what? All right, now let me help you out, uh, teenagers, guys. This is not like, ooh, she's a babe. That's not like that at all. It's referring to you being born again and your life starting over, all right? And your life starting over as a baby, spiritually speaking. 
All right, look at Titus chapter number three. Titus chapter number three. Titus chapter three. This is what these are uh, uh, words written by the apostle Paul. Titus chapter number three. And look, if you there's no doubt there are some things in the Gospels that are Old Testament. No, no doubt at all. Uh, there's things you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and even some things in John that are Old Testament in nature. However, there are some things, especially, listen to me carefully, in the Gospel of John that are different than the other Gospels where you see the Lord giving particular revelation to John that he didn't give to the other ones to write about certain events that the other ones didn't write about. Think about this. What other Gospel talks about Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus Christ? You don't have that. You don't have that at all. You, you, only the Gospel of John does that. Now, you say, well, why is that? Well, number one, uh, if you ever uh, study, like, what happens when policemen or investigators are investigating a crime, if they find two witnesses that are exactly the same, down to the T, and there's no variation whatsoever, they start to doubt whether there's a lot of collusion and it's just a fake story. They start wondering, is this just a fake story that these guys got together? What they look for are commonalities between the stories because if you're coming from this side and you're coming from this side, there are going to be certain things that this guy sees that this guy does not see and vice versa. All right, so as it relates to the Gospel of John, here in John what you have is you have a situation where John is pointing things out that the other Gospel writers don't. The new birth is one of those things. Uh, just because Paul doesn't use the term new birth or born again does not mean that it's not biblical or applicable today. Look at Titus 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he what? By the washing of what? That's, that's new. You know what that is? Regeneration. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to, to know the Bible, by the way. Um, genes. Right? It's the blueprint of life, right? Genesis. The beginning of life. All right? So if, if that's what that is, and you re-gene something, or you regenerate something, you give life where there wasn't life before. You give new life. And so he says, by the washing of regeneration. Someone that believes that you get saved by water baptism would rush there and go, oh, that's baptism. It's not in there. Matter of fact, it goes on to tell you, look at the rest of the verse. It says, by the washing of regeneration. And he goes on to talk about another person. Who's that person? And renewing of the who? It's a spiritual transaction. Not a physical one. All right. So while Paul may not necessarily uh, lay out the term born again or new birth, uh, it's very clear that what Paul writes about is in correlation with that same doctrine. So let's just kind of get that out of the way. Let's be clear about this. There's nothing. It's the right thing to say that last Sunday there were three people that were born again at New Heights Baptist Church. All right. That's a sound doctrinal statement. All right. That, That means they were saved. They were given new life. All right, uh, so go back to John chapter 3. I want to show you something here. This is pretty important to get a hold of. John chapter 3, and uh, I will tell you this. You talk to the average person today, and that doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Protestant or whatever. You ask them, are you saved? You know how many times they'll respond with this, I was baptized when I was 12? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was baptized. Anybody ever had that encounter before? Anybody ever talk to people and they do that? All right, well, you should know right away as a born-again believer, like red flags should go up. And you should at least dig. It doesn't mean that they're not saved, but it kind of makes you want to go, let me just make sure, let me run that by you again. So, so you got, you got, you were born again, you were saved, and what did you do to get saved? Oh, yeah, I got baptized. All right, that's when the red flag should just, you know, pop out of your brain and go, okay, this isn't right. I need to help someone understand that the new birth is not by water baptism. 
All right, now, I, I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Never insert the word water where you read baptism automatically, and don't automatically insert the word baptism where you read water. Uh, look at John 3, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, uh, 5. Uh, Jesus responding to Nicodemus' question. We know what Nicodemus asks in verse 4. How can a man be born when he's old? Does he, does he go back into his mother's womb? And then, then he, he's, like, I, this, makes, this term makes no sense to me. And so the Lord lays out for him, look in verse 5, he lays out for him the fact that there are two births. Right? The old saying is this, if you're born once, you die twice. You, you experience the physical death, and then you experience the spiritual death in the lake of fire, the death of the soul. All right? But if you're born twice, born again, you only have to die once. All right? and, and if the rapture happens in our lifetime, you get to skip out on that. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Would not be a bad deal at all. Look at verse uh, 5, though. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, right? Well, well, that's baptism. That's what some people would say. Uh, I was reading something yesterday. I'll, matter of fact, I think I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can share it with you. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Catholic.com. Because I want to make sure I'm not misspeaking for anybody. I don't want to misrepresent and say this is what us Baptists think about what you, you believe. I'd rather read what you have to say about what you believe and take your word for it. So this is Catholic.com. Does confessing faith in Christ or instant conversion to the Christian faith qualify a person as being born again? Was Paul really saying in Romans 10, really? You ever watch out for that? It's like, it's like Genesis chapter 3. Was Paul really saying in Romans 10, 9, 10 that confessing Christ is the new birth, i.e. salvation? If we say the faith of Romans 10, 9, 10 is, not, is enough for salvation, then what do we do with Jesus' declaration? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What about he who believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, 16. And what about Peter's response, talking about Acts 2, 38. Uh, so, so basically, what, this, what they go on to say is this, faith alone does not save. I'm reading it from the website. I'm not taking it out of context. Unless, of course, there's no opportunity for the believer to finish the entire process of faith. Here's the, here's the threefold process. Faith, repentance, baptism. So, and, and by the way, if you're LDS, there's like seven steps. So they, every religion kind of makes their own thing. The, the point is this, guys. Everything you've read so far is a spiritual transaction where the Word of God is presented to you, and you have the opportunity to accept it in your heart or reject it. That's the, the, the field of your heart, if you will. You accept it or you reject it. And if you accept it by faith, and what you're saying is, I am no longer counting on my own righteousness to get me into heaven. I am now counting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ to save my soul. Amen, amen, amen. All right, well, well, well that's different than me saying, well, uh, let's see here. Joe, you got to have faith. you got to repent. No more weddings, okay? All right. Um, and, 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 and then you got to get baptized. But unless you don't have time to do that and you get hit by a bus and then you just have faith. Well, does that make sense to anybody here at all? Uh, that's literally what they're saying here. And I'm not going to read all of this because I want to bore you guys to death. But um, uh, here's, here's what is said. Once a hearer has repented of his sins and turned to God, he has become a disciple of our Lord. Let me ask you a question. What does that even mean? Once a hearer has repented of his sins and turned to God. Does that mean you quit drinking? Does that mean you quit a bad habit? Does that mean, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of unclear here. The next step is water baptism, which completes his journey into the kingdom of God. That has nothing to do at all with what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 3. Uh, I, I, I'll say it and I'll say it again. Uh, and by the way, baptism is not a sacrament. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, an ordinance, all right? But 
what happens here is people go, well, he's talking about baptism. Well, what is the context? The context, no one is talking about baptism at all. No one's mentioning it. No one's talking about it. There's no discussion about getting in the water. What they're talking about is a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Uh, it's very clear from verse 4 when Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb th- th- and, and be born again th- that way the second time? All right, so, so it's clear that from verse 4, we're talking about physical birth. All right, look at verse 5. This is the, the, the controversial area, water and the spirit. Well, it's followed up in verse 6. So what does verse 6 liken the water to? The flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, you are, you are here, and we know you, we don't doubt your existence, you've been born. All right, and you came in this world the same way all of us did through our mother's womb and so on and so forth. Jesus Christ is referring to a birth of flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh. But then he goes on to say, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he's contrasting the two things. He's saying, hey, flesh is different than spirit. He's laying out for us, hey, this is not this. And a matter of fact, when you came in this world, it was a physical birth through water. This is a spiritual transaction that is not physical in nature. Are you seeing that in the passage? Yeah. All right, the context is very important. If you don't have the context and you just take the, the verse by itself, you isolate it and pull it out, you can make a verse in the Bible say pretty much anything that you want to. All right, and, and so that's kind of what some people do. And by the way, I don't want you to think I'm picking on anybody. I just don't want anyone in here, regardless of your background, regardless of your label, Baptist, Catholic, doesn't really matter. Uh, regardless of your, if you're counting on your baptism to get you to heaven, you won't make it. And I want you to understand that. And I want you to understand why you won't make it, because that is a physical action that you did in the flesh. And that is not the representation of your faith. You know what? Faith, go back to, don't worry about you slowly. You believe the Bible, believe the Bible, right? Romans, uh, uh, four, did I say 14? Romans 10, I'm sorry. Go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Nope, was it? Nope. Let me think here. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, this is one of those moments where I'm having one of those pastoral uh, ADD moments. Um, faith cometh by, Romans 10, Romans 10. Sorry, guys, Romans 10. Romans 10, look at verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the? All right. Can, can, I, can I ask you a question? Do you see in your, in your Bible that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that you must be baptized? Now, some people may try to take that out of Acts 2.38, but, but let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to define what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul makes it very clear what the gospel is and how it is the vehicle for your salvation. Look at First uh, Corinthians 15. Look at verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have what? By faith. That's where, it, that's where it's at. And we're in you stand, by which also ye are what? All right, look at verse number uh, 3. For I deliver unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's you 
saying, I am no longer counting and putting faith in anything that I can do. I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus Christ did. Now, look, if you've been saved for a long time, you go, yeah, I already know this. Well, let me just let me just help you out real quick and tell you this. The rest of the world doesn't know this. And there may be someone here that doesn't know this. I want to make sure they get it. And I want to make sure you can explain that water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. All right. Uh, so, so again, what we're seeing is that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God that was presented to me was the gospel of my salvation. The thing that got me saved was me placing my faith no longer in me, but rather in what Jesus Christ did for me. All right. So, so again, we're seeing here this, this idea that it's not about a physical action as much as it is a spiritual transaction of faith. Uh, go back, if you would, to uh, John chapter number 3. And, and by the way, I don't have time to go into all of this today, but um, you know what? Uh, go, go to Colossians 2. Sorry, guys. Go to Colossians 2. All right? Your hands will get a workout, and that's good for you. You old people, remember the yellow pages? Let, let the fingers do the walking. Remember that? All right? So Colossians chapter 2. All right? Yeah, I, I got one of, one of you knows what I'm talking about. That's great. All right? Colossians chapter number 2. Uh, look, if you would, at... Uh, verse number uh, 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made, what are the next two words? Yeah. All right, now there's only one other place in your Bible that I can that really sticks out in my mind where that phrase, without hands, shows up. When someone gets in the baptistry, and they get baptized, and there's nothing wrong with baptism. Baptism is a great step, and we haven't really talked about what it actually is yet. I'm just trying to tell you what it's not. Baptism is not your salvation, all right? Uh, but when that happens, you are in that, that baptistry, and you know what someone does? Someone grabs a hold of you with their hands, and they put you down in the water, and they bring you back up. It's a picture of something, but they're grabbing you physically and carrying forth a physical act. Is that, can we agree on that much? All right. So whatever this is in Colossians 2, it's something that's made without hands, all right? Uh, keep reading that verse. You know what he talks about? I think it's in that verse, maybe the next verse. talks about being an operation. You guys see that there? All right? And, and so he refers to this thing as it being a circumcision without hands, and he refers to it as an operation. Now, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've been studying your Bible, you know what this is. This is when you get saved, the soul being separated from the flesh. And now you've got this battle between the old nature and the new nature, but here's the best part about that operation. That circumcision made without hands is that now when you sin as a believer, it no longer touches your soul. Thank God for that. Which is why you have eternal security. All right? But it's made without hands. You know what that means? Uh, over in the book of Daniel, uh, it talks about uh, Jesus Christ uh, coming down this earth as a stone being cut without hands. All right, and he comes and destroys all the other kingdoms. You say, what does it mean without hands? It means that he was not made like you and I were. It means that he came to this earth through a virgin birth. It means that God was his father, all right, and that the Holy Spirit of God was the one that helped him be, con- uh, that, that allowed this, the conception of Mary, so that he could be born without a man being involved, without hands. It was a spiritual, supernatural thing that took place when Jesus Christ came to this earth and was born of a woman. All right, so you know what? Whatever your salvation is, it's a supernatural event made without hands. Now, why is that important? Well, let me show you something. Look at uh, uh, verse number uh, 11 here. 
uh, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. You go, oh, well, there it is. That's, there's the water. No, it's something without hands. This baptism is a spiritual baptism. Now, uh, for those that aren't familiar with this, the word baptized just means to be immersed in something. And so you know what you have in the Bible? You've got physical baptisms where you get in the water for a certain reason to show something. And you've got what we call spiritual baptism, which is also connected with a spiritual circumcision, which is also connected with a spiritual birth. And you know what all these things have in common? There's nothing physical that you do to gain this. It's a transaction of faith. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know the verse, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. For by grace you are saved through what? Faith, right? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when it comes to baptism being there in the passage, understand it is spiritual nature. If you don't believe that, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And again, I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. Uh, be really, really careful about inserting words in the Bible that aren't there. Sometimes the word baptism is a spiritual transaction, and sometimes it's a, it's a physical one. All right? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one what? Does it say by one baptistry, by one water tank, by one bat? No, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. When you get saved, the spirit of God comes inside of you and Christ is in you and you are referred to as being in Christ. You are so immersed from God, the father's perspective that he doesn't see where Christ ends and your life begins. That's why it says your life is hid with Christ in God. Thank God for the hat. Because if he did see everything, like from the eternal perspective, if God saw you as you are in the flesh, you wouldn't make it. <laughs> the reason that you make it and you make it in the heavens because he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so this is a spiritual transaction, not one that's physical. Now go to Ephesians 4 real quickly. Let me show you something here. And we'll, we'll go back to John uh, chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter 4. And look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, five. Now, let me just say this. I don't have time to run through all these, but there are a number of baptisms in your Bible. Those are in discipleship. You may remember this. We talked about seven baptisms, uh, the baptism of John and the, uh, the baptism of Moses over there in the Red Sea and this baptism and that baptism. There's all kinds of physical baptisms. But notice what it says in Ephesians four in verse number five. He says this one Lord, one faith, one what? But there's a bunch of them. What do you mean there's only one? Well, in the context of your faith and your calling, look at verse 1, in Christ, being a born-again, being saved, in context of that, there's only one baptism that counts. You know what it is? It's not water. It's when you ask Christ to save you and the Spirit of God came inside of you and placed Christ in you and placed you in Christ. That is the only baptism that counts for your salvation. Whether you ever get in the water or not, that's a different story. Now, we can talk a lot more about what baptism is for, but let me give you one more place, and we'll shut it down for the day. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Now, let me ask you a question. If, if Paul, who, uh, according to Paul, in the book of Romans and other places, uh, he is separated unto the gospel, all right? Uh, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, Romans 1, I think, verse 3. If that's the case, all right, then that means his life is dedicated to the gospel. Is that fair? All right, now look at 1 Corinthians 1 and look at verse number uh, 17. For Christ sent me not to what? But to preach the what? Now, it doesn't mean that baptism is wrong. That, some people go so far and take verse 17 by itself. Oh, they go, oh, you shouldn't baptize anybody physically. No, no, no. Look back at verse 16. And I what? So Paul did baptize people, but what he's trying to say is this. Baptism ain't the gospel. <laughs> right? This is preaching the gospel. This is baptizing people. They're not the same. They're both things that are necessary for the Christian life. One is necessary for salvation. One is something that you express as an outward, when we talk about physical baptism, it's an outward expression of your faith. It is you saying, the old me is gone. We'll look at the reference next week. The old Adrian is gone. There's a new Adrian. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, and I want to walk in newness of life, and I want everyone here to know that I, I'm going to align myself up. I'm publicly testifying that I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's a great thing to do, but that step doesn't save you. That step is there to express on the outside what happened on the inside when you did get saved. And if you haven't been saved yet, I just want to say one more time, it doesn't come through the water. <laughs> All right, John chapter 3, we'll close. John chapter 3. John 3, verse, hopefully this makes sense. We ran through it real quick, but hopefully all the verses kind of lined up in your mind. If not, let me know. Verse 5, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God a spiritual kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. There's your first birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's your second birth. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Amen. Let's go ahead and stop right there. And hopefully you got something out of that lesson. And you can go out. Listen, if nothing else, you go to work tomorrow, you start talking to people about salvation, talk about the new birth, and they bring up baptism. Let me just say this. Don't go in with a sledgehammer and go, you're lost. All right, don't, don't do that. There's a better way to handle that. You know how you can handle that? If you're talking to someone and they go, well, yeah, I got baptized. Say, oh, that's great. That's, that's, a, that's a great thing to do. It's not a lie. It's a great thing to get baptized, is it not? You guys are kind of sleepy on me. Are everybody okay this morning? You need some co- Look, we got new cups. Fill them up. The bigger cups. Get some coffee back there. All right, so when you're talking to somebody and, and they say, say, that's a great thing to do. I'm glad you did that. Um, but do you know what it means to be born again? And take the verses that we went through and show them you must be born again. Let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask.